Good morning, everybody. <clears throat> I didn't know it was that good. I got to get on. I got to get on your page. All right. Uh, my name is Buzz Hannon. I'm one of the pastors here at Three Crosses. My role is to work with young adults and families, and I'm excited to be here and share out of our First John series. Um, have you guys enjoyed going through First John? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I've enjoyed going through First John as much as I loved hearing about Danny and his surfing thing that happened last week. You guys here for that? Um, it's also super cool to have the woodwinds here. Uh, I've always wanted to play instruments, and uh, I'm not as good as they are, so it's great to have that blessing. And that song that they're playing, uh, it's called Grace That Is Greater. This was one of my grandmother's favorite hymns, and so she passed away about two years ago, and so it was really um, touching for me to hear her favorite song. You know, obviously we didn't have any vocals or words, but the song goes, uh, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all of our sin. And that's a beautiful message this morning. And I'd love to share out of 1 John chapter 3 and how God's grace is greater than all of our sin. And so that's where we're going this morning. You know, um, I was thinking about my grandma and she used to give us presents because are you contractually obligated to do that as a grandma? I kind of feel like that's like your main purpose, you know. And so she would give us like a Christmas present. And I felt like that was kind of how grace was in my understanding, that like somebody hands you a present, you open it up, it's like, great, I have this thing, you know, like I've received God's grace. Maybe this is like the moment you first follow Jesus or you pray a prayer or you come down to the altar or go to the prayer room. There's like a moment, right? And you've opened it and there it is. But then after that, it feels like kind of like you're on your own, right? Like God's grace happens, you got the gift, and then it's up to you the rest of the time, right? This isn't really how it is, but that's kind of how I used to envision it when I was a kid. I love talking about things when I was a kid because then I can pretend like I'm better now, I've moved on, you know, I no longer misunderstands God's grace, I'm perfect, you know? Uh, but when I was a kid, I loved to play games with my family, and now that I am grown and have my own children, I inflict game playing on them, you know, and I remember playing uh, a couple games with my sisters. One of these games was called Operation. You guys ever played Operation, right? I was just, do you have any like medical professionals, like surgeons? Is that like a med school thing? Because I feel like it should be, you know, have you guys seen this game? It's like a guy and for some reason he got trapped on a game board. I don't know what happened to him. And then you have to get in there and fish out these ailments that he has, such as writer's cramp, like a little pencil stuck in his arm. Uh, he's got a bread basket. I don't think that's a real thing, you know? I don't know if anatomy has like made some new discoveries, you don't actually have one. But this is a game, you gotta get in there and you gotta get it, except if you touch the wall with your metal tweezers, what happens, right? Yeah, there you go, it gets you. You said zap, right? That's basically right, his nose lights up and then your eight-year-old body gets an adrenaline rush, the likes of which it has never seen before. You know, whoa, what happened? I got zapped, I touched the wall, I got electrocuted, and my sisters are winning again. At least they liked to say so. You know, now that I play this with my kids, I didn't buy it for my kids because we have a policy, don't buy anything that makes noise, you know, but we have friends, you know, that give us all the noise-making toys. So we have operation. And, uh, you know, so now they're fishing it out. It's Star Wars. It's super cool. You know, and then the kids, you know, they get this app and then they think, Daddy, I didn't really actually touch the edge. That's all right. It's like my bullpen song. It's no big deal. Playing for the A's, but you know they, they like zap the edge and they're like, "Daddy, I didn't really touch the edge. I think the game is broken." And I was like, "That's not how this game works, you know. For sure, you touch the edge." No, really, I didn't touch it, you know. And then uh, I don't believe them. I think that they touched the edge, you know. And then a great thing happened: our batteries ran out of operation, 
and I couldn't find any replacements, right? So now, <laughs> now we're living in grace. But, uh, you know, I use this as an illustration of what it can feel like sometimes to try to live the Christian life. You got to get in there with your tweezers and you got to pull out something that's really hard to find, really hard to aim at. You don't even know if it's like a real thing or not. And then it's so easy to touch the edge and then zzz, you're zapped. And either God doesn't love you anymore or you feel like maybe I've even drifted all the way out of his family, or you feel all this guilt and all this shame. It's so easy to touch the edge. Zzz, there it is. You know, so this morning as we talk from 1 John 3 about Christians living the same way that Jesus lived, it feels like how can we even hit that target? How can we be perfect like Jesus Christ was perfect? The stakes are high, right? We're going to zap, we're going to lose, we're going to get out. There's a lot of pressure. A lot of pressure it feels like. So I want to read uh, with you this morning, 1 John chapter 2, verse 29, very last verse, get all the way to chapter 3, verse 10. And as we read it together, I want us to think about this idea of grace and following what he says and what are the stakes and should we be worried and see how the scripture strikes us this morning. And so we'll pick up reading in chapter 2, verse 29. It says that if you know that he is righteous, if you know that Jesus is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is the devil, or excuse me, whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So at first glance, this passage feels really heavy and like the stakes are really high. And you know why I'm talking to you about buzzing the third rail. It says things like, in him there is no sin, like zero. That's my standard, no sin. If you sin, it says here, you're of the devil. Wow, no one born of God sins, and if we're stuck in sin, we're apart from God. We can tell the difference. You're in or you're out, and if we don't love our brother, we're not of God. It feels very, very stressful at first glance. You know, and all of this is true, I think, in, in a lot of ways. God is a holy God, right? And he demands certain things of us. And it's true. He has expectations of us. We shouldn't just say we're his followers. We should live like it. That's true. The best evidence of us following him is that we love those around us. All of that is true. 
But I think that if we start there, or if we live there, in some ways we've gotten the cart before the horse. You know, 1 John doesn't start here in chapter 3. We're kind of jumping in in the middle. And in fact, this letter from John to this church isn't even John's first communication with him. He's had relationship with them for years, so much so that he can call them his little children. This is in some way a follow-up message, and so I don't want us to miss the greater context here. You know, John's heartbeat throughout this letter, throughout his gospel, throughout his other writings, is always that God is love. And that participation with God makes us his dearly beloved children. That's a different message. It's a different feel than the crushing legalism, isn't it? It doesn't feel as much like I'm going to get zapped, I'm going to get, I'm going to lose. I need to hit that tiny center. It feels more like God loves me and I can relax in that. And that's what leads me to our first takeaway today that I'm going to suggest from the scripture. It's, it's this, that our obedience to Christ should follow after our intimacy with Christ. Our obedience to Christ should follow after our intimacy with Christ. You know, a couple weekends ago, we had a retreat for our 20s and 30s group here at the church, and we went away to the mountains, uh, record-breaking snowfall. I loved it. I thought it was great. Some of the Californians had never seen snow before. They loved it, perhaps less than I loved it, but we all made it back, right? Um, and I brought my friend Matt Olson, uh, he was my old boss in Tulsa, all the way from lovely scenic Tulsa, Oklahoma, to share with us. And this was his message on Friday night, and it really impacted me that our obedience to Christ should follow our intimacy with Christ. He put it this way. He said that the, the practices of following God, practices are things like praying or reading your Bible or going to church or just trying to do the right thing, that those practices of God, sometimes we put those as more important in our life than the God whom the practices reveal. In this way, he says that we put the cart before the horse. If we put the practices of following God ahead of the God of the practices, we're doing it backwards. You know, Matt's suggestion to us is that if we think we should do more or be better or avoid sin more, that God will be happy with us and reward us with a better relationship is backwards. If we don't start from the point of view that we are dearly beloved children, we're going to miss it. We can't live life rightly. We are going to make mistakes and we need his grace. But grace isn't a present you opened when you first joined the family and now you're on your own. Grace is something that reveals itself in your life day by day as we follow Jesus. Sometimes we pursue Christ with a works-based transactional relationship. We think that if I do right for God, he'll love me more. But that's not what it's like. You know, we have four kids. I don't know if you have kids or not. Um, but if you do, I want to ask you this question. Do you love your kids because of what they do for you? Or do you love your kids because of who they are? Right? This is an easy, easy question, right? You love your kids because of who they are. If we loved our kids for what they could do for us, like kids, they don't, they don't do a whole lot, you know? They, <laughs> I'm sorry if my kids are listening to this. They're probably not, but spoiler alert, like my oldest is 10, and then we have an 8-year-old. Asher's going to be 6 soon, and then Gabriel's 4. And, uh, you know, they're getting there. They're getting to where they can be helpful, but, like, they're still just mooches, you know? They, like, eat our food. <laughs> they make messes. Like, the net impact on mess is, like, way out of scope. And, you know, and then the parents end up cleaning the whole house, right? We don't love them for what they do around the house. We love them because they're our kids, and we love them. You know, but there's still some cleaning to do, you know? And so, uh, 
we want them to be, you know, men of responsibility, and so we inflict household chores on them, you know, like things like, just really draconian, like put your shoes by the back door when you come into the house, you know, horrible stuff. Can you clean your plate after dinner? Can you sweep? Can you please put your laundry in where it goes? And then they can't even get these simple things right. You know, they're stumbling around. They can't even, they can't even put their shoes by the back door. It's so easy. We have two doors. You know, pick one. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, so Tara, the other day, she was feeling a little frustrated, and she said to me, as if I could solve anything, you know, like, when will the boys clean up the house, not because we tell them to, but because it's the right thing to do and they value cleanliness? And I was like, that's not going to happen, you know. <laughs> Just get that out of your brain for sure. She's like, it's the right thing to do. We should do the right thing. And I was like, you know, they're 10. I'm older than 10. I'm still not doing that stuff. So <laughs> you have to be older than me, you know. So Tara and I have a joke about this that, like, I, some, she doesn't like it when I say I cleaned up our room for you, you know, or I did the dishes for you, Tara, who I love, beloved above all things, you know. <laughs> she doesn't like that for some reason. She wants me to do it for the house, right, for the house, because it's the right thing to do, right? It's not like a gift of love to her. It's like, man, it's just for the house. You can give me some flowers or something if you love me, but don't clean up anything. No way. Right? But I kind of feel like if I could be so bold as to vote for myself in this argument, right, that I do do it for her. Like, I don't care that much about cleanliness. I don't want to live in a pigsty, but if your shoes are out, like, whatever, I don't care. If your clothes are on the floor, I don't really mind. If there's dirt on the sink, I don't even see it. I don't even see it. It's not even there. So when I clean up, it really is for Tara uh, because I love her and I want to value the things that she values and I want to serve her in a way that she wants to be served, right? I don't want to be a lazy husband and then leave everything to my wife, but she doesn't love me because I clean the house, right? She loves me because she loves me, and we're in a relationship, and cleaning the house is an outgrowth of that. We don't love our kids because they clean the house. Man, and isn't that good news, because you just wouldn't get a lot of love <laughs> as a six-year-old. You know, but 1 John 3 tells us that, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. But why do we think that God is so interested in giving us the love that we earn for doing the right things when we can't even do anything right? He gives us love because we are his beloved children, and that's enough. It really is enough. If you don't get anything else out of this morning, I would love for you to understand and walk out of here believing, knowing, and feeling that you are a beloved child of the Most High God, created in his image, purchased with his blood. That is good news. So in a minute, we're going to talk about stuff to do and like ways we can clean our house, so to speak. And all that's real and all that's true and all that's right. And I believe that that's good for us. It is. But if we do it because we're trying to earn favor with God, we've got the cart before the horse. It'll lead to guilt. It'll lead to shame. And it won't give life, right? If we follow him and walk like he walked and live like he lived because he loves us, we'll be on the right track, you guys. Dearly beloved children, so you are. That's good news this morning, isn't it? Amen. All right. So now I have to break a little bit of bad news, but I don't want to do it. I don't have the heart. So Kevin, if you could come on up here. And <laughs> I don't actually have bad news. I just thought that would be a funny joke. And uh, <laughs> he really does have to come up. And so this is uh, Pastor Kevin Ledbetter, and he is uh, one of our, is your title overlord, or I don't really know. Oh, I don't know either. Did I make it on time? Am I okay? Let's check with Brian. I don't know. He's the one watching. I was worried I wasn't going to get her on time because I was out in the lobby playing Operation. Yeah. 
but I got buzzed out, so I'm here. All right, there you go. We've, your schedule's freed up. Yeah. So, Kevin, out. what do you do here around Three Crosses Church? I'm the pastor of fine arts. All that means is I run choir and orchestra and help uh, with Faith Blevins. We put together these large outreaches that the church has done for 50 years, Christmas, Easter, summer musical, things like that. Um, That's right. I almost don't even want to ask, have you yourself personally done these for 50 years, or are you standing on the shoulders of those that have gone before? Almost 50 years. Almost 50 yeah. years. So you, I'm 64, so I've been doing this a long time. You, you love music, yeah, I do. Right? and that's why you lean yeah. into fine arts. What do you love about music? It's just part of your heart. You know, one of the things that we can do with music is it draws you close to God when you hear it in a special way. The word draws you close, and when you have Christian music that is uh, reflecting the glory of God, then it, it brings you into the presence of God in a, in a wonderful way that can just melt your heart. Yeah. So what Kevin and I are going to try to illustrate for you today is our second point, which is that sin is lawlessness and righteousness brings freedom. You know, we're talking about being a dearly beloved child and acting out of love, and sometimes it feels like you get to do whatever you want, and to think about doing things God's way feels restrictive. And like there's just a, a very narrow thing I can shoot at. Whereas like the world of sin or just doing whatever I want, that feels really free, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. let me ask you some questions about playing saxophone. Sure. I clearly am underqualified to ask these questions. But uh, how old were you when you started playing? Eight. Eight years old. And you were immediately amazing? Or it took I a was bit? immediately horrible. <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be part, part for the course, uh, learning musical instruments. Uh, what's the first thing you got to do when you want to learn sax? Co correct fingerings and uh, correct what they call embouchure, how you put the mouthpiece and the reed in your mouth and how you blow. You guys write that down, embouchure. That'll there will be, like be a, a test afterwards word, for each you know, one of you yeah, before exactly. you can leave here. So correct fingering, so yep, that's where you put fingers. your fingers and play in the right kind of notes. Right. Right, and embouchure right. is blowing the right way. Blowing seems easy, you guys, doesn't it? Like blowing. I can blow, right? But yeah. to the sax, I gotta blow a certain way. So what does it sound like if I blow into my saxophone the wrong way? Oh, you've all heard these tones from young players. They sound something like this. That's amazing. Yeah. I... <laughs> Did you say you were immediately horrible? Is that I was immediately, I'm still horrible. <laughs> well. I'm making you be horrible on purpose, right? So that's just puffing your cheeks out, right? Yeah, this is So it feels like, as a kid, I should be able to blow however I want into my horn, but if I don't blow it the right way, it's not beautiful. Now, fingering no. is the same way. So what if you just put your fingers wherever you want on the saxophone? What's that going to sound like? I just moved one finger. You know, that... You don't like that? That's a... Move less than one finger, I would say. <laughs> like, it doesn't sound good, does it? Like, to have freedom to blow or freedom to finger where we want on our sax, yeah. like, it doesn't... It's not, it's not beautiful. Nobody wants to listen to this. And here I am tricking you to be in here and listen to this. Great job. <laughs> Great job. What does it sound like when you play it the right way? Yeah. More like that. I would rather listen to that for sure. Which, which feels more constrictive to play? To play wherever you want or to play notes that have been laid out for you? Which feels more constrictive? Well, it's, it is work to master your horn. There are principles, and if you just say, I'm just gonna do what I wanna do, you're probably not gonna eventually achieve the results you want. So by learning my armature and my fingering, what's kind of the next step after that to get my results that I want? 
you, well, you, put, you can put that into practice. Everything that you learn in life on the saxophone or any other instrument, um, in, in Romans it talks about how God takes us from glory to glory. Same thing on an instrument. You, you learn a couple principles and you get those under your belt a little bit and then you move on to the next set. Then you move on to the next set. And eventually you have all these tools which you can use to produce music the way you hear it in your head. So some of those tools then, so after fingering, you go to things like scales. Yeah, right? scales, arpeggios. I, I still, I'm 64, I've been playing since I was eight years old. Every day I'm still practicing scales and arpeggios. When you were eight, did you like practicing your scales and No, arpeggios? I would never do it. Yeah. Never. At what point in your sax playing career did you realize, man, I gotta get back to the basics and... Yesterday. Yes. <laughs> It's a good thing it wasn't today, right? No, or this today. would be a disaster up here. All right. Thank you, Kevin, hey. for sharing your gift and your time Thank with you. us. And... <laughs> you know, I wish sometimes that I could play a musical instrument like that and just have the, the beautiful gift of music, but I'm certainly not going to practice. <laughs> so to hear Kevin say, you've got to blow it the right way, you've got to put your fingers the right way, you've got to work on scales the right way, that there's a lot of work that goes into producing that beauty. You know, and so if we feel like that is constraining or restrictive, I want to play however I want, you turn out like that eight-year-old kid squeaking on the horn, and you never get anything better. You don't improve, and it doesn't sound beautiful. I feel like it's the same way in our Christian life, right? When we follow God, we want to be his children, we want to walk like Jesus walked. Sometimes if we do what we want to do, it's not actually beautiful or life-giving. It's easier for a little bit, isn't it? We don't want to do the hard work of our scales, arpeggios, so to speak. We want to just jump right to the end. We don't develop our fundamentals. And we think that living God's way, doing the things that he asks us to do, that discipline or that grind or that practice, we don't want to do it. We want to skip those steps. We want to jump right into what we feel like is freedom. But sin doesn't bring real freedom. It brings lawlessness, which is another way of saying chaos. It doesn't bring beauty to your life. It's not rich. It's not full. Nobody wants to hear you play any of the notes you just want to do. Look at 1 John 3, 7 here. John tells us, Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. So I'm going to suggest to us this morning that part of following God is practicing righteousness. Not doing what you want, not jumping right to the end, not thinking you know the way, but submitting yourself and walking after what Christ asks you to do. Sin is lawlessness. Don't mistake that for true freedom. Righteousness brings true freedom and true beauty into our lives. Walking like Jesus walked is better than walking the way you want to. And that brings me to our third point this morning, which is that walking like Jesus walked, living like Jesus lived, involves following his lead. Walking like Jesus walked includes following his lead. You know, 1 John 3, 9 tells us that no one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. You know, what does it mean to have God's seed abiding in you? The Apostle Paul uses a little bit of a different image in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, and he, he put it this way. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so therefore glorify God in your body. 
So when Paul tells us that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit, he's telling us that we have the very presence of God inside of us always. And so when 1 John 3 tells us that we have the seed of God in our hearts, this is the same kind of thing that John is getting at. We have his leading, his presence, which means we can operate like Jesus, live like he lived, and walk like he walked. You know, Jesus didn't just live long ago, get crucified on that cross, die for our sins, rise again on the third day, and then ascend into heaven, and that's the end of the story. Sometimes it feels like that, though, doesn't it? Like Jesus lived long ago, and now I'm on my own kind of like I was talking about grace before, but the gospel of John tells us that Jesus ascended into heaven and sent his Holy Spirit, his very presence to the earth as a counselor. And John tells us that that spirit will guide us into all truth. And so as we seek to walk after Jesus, we just have to keep in step with his Holy Spirit. This is how Paul put it in Galatians chapter five. He says, since we have been set free by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. You know, long ago in ancient Israel, um, they built a temple for God's presence, and they fixed uh, in one room the Ark of the Covenant, which was said to have God's presence dwelling right there. And the temple had a lot of rules, right? Only certain people could enter even the courtyard at all. Everybody else had to stay out at all times. And then some people could come a little bit closer to the center, closer to the holiness of God. And then into the very room, that holy of holies, which had God's presence, this was very restricted. Only the high priest, only on certain days, only after certain uh, sort of rituals, very restricted. It was almost like the holiness of God was so pure that we had to stay away or broken humanity was going to wither up. I think that's true. But now, if our bodies are that temple, it's almost like even if we tried to stay away and even if we tried to keep at arm's length from God's presence, we couldn't do it. Like, do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Therefore, honor God with your body, the Apostle Paul tells us. That's keeping in step and following after where he leads. And so to help us kind of visualize what it might look like to follow somebody's lead, I'm going to invite my friend Chris and my friend Tisha to come on up and um, illustrate this for us. So congratulations on making it up the stairs. That's the hardest part for sure. (laughs) The rest of it is all downhill. So Chris, who are you? What do you do here? What was going on? I don't know. It's... (laughs) I'm Chris. I lead Braxis, our college ministry here. And, woo-woo. and um, when I'm not here, I actually teach corporate dance and fitness. You teach corporate dance and fitness. Decoding, you're a professional dancer. I act like it, and they keep paying me. So, hey, hey that's good enough don't for tell me. Anybody. All right, and how about you? Good morning, everyone. My name is Tisha, and my husband and my two boys, we made Three Crosses our church home here about three years ago, and we're so grateful for it. So for me, I wear a couple different hats. One is my husband and I own a nonprofit, and it's a professional Christian dance company called Ross Dance, and I'm also a psychologist. Very fancy, right? (laughs) So I've stacked the deck. I've got pro dancers up here to talk about follow and lead, right? Because dance, as I understand it, I'm clearly not qualified to dance. Do not worry, I'm gonna leave it to the professionals. Uh, Has something to do with follow and lead. So Chris, why don't you tell us a little bit about what that looks like either in your courses or just as you're teaching people the rudiments of dance. What does it look like to follow somebody's lead? Yeah, so um, whether it's just partner dancing or or, or a group collective coming together, um, 
typically there's one person that's setting the choreography, one person that is, is leading the way. Um, but sometimes you get people that they kind of want to do their own thing. Um, we get this term, don't step on my toes. Like, that's, that's really a thing when you try to take the dance into your own way and not follow, um, follow the person that's leading. I didn't know stepping on toes was going to happen. I was going to scoot over here a little bit. All right. So why don't you give us a, a demonstration of what it might look like to follow somebody's lead? Just. All right. So here's a step. It's going to be kick back, kick back, and and. Got it? Okay. Ready? <laughs> you know, Tisha, it's looking a little bit more. My skill level. I mean, sorry, not quite, sorry, sorry. Not quite Christian. It's typical. good. It's good. It's, but. it's good. But you're not in step with each other, right? What does it look like when you do get in step with each other? Right. So dancing, there's not a lot of talking uh, that happens in dance. A lot of it is more body language. A lot of it's more um, following gestures um, and, and body movement. Uh, what it can look like is... Is, is something like this. This is not something that we practice, but she's watching my lead, going where I'm going. And we're in sync. There you go. That's beautiful. Tisha, how easy is that dance step for you? Like on a scale of one to 10? Because to me, it looks like a hundred hard. So like, great job, <laughs> great job. Uh, you know, you're in this kind of scenario, the, the follower. What does it feel like to follow somebody's lead? Yeah, it could be interesting and challenging at the same time because I'm trying to anticipate his movement without knowing where he's going to go. So I have to make sure I'm paying attention and trying to do it at his same timing. Yeah, no, Chris is a professional, right? Mm -hmm. Easy to follow, easy uh, to trust. Have you ever had somebody as your leader, so to speak, in a dance that wasn't as skilled as you are? What is that kind of like? Yes, I can recall some of those moments <laughs> in my past. It can be frustrating because I may see it, the vision a different way, but I think it's so important to humble myself, and then when I do, it's so much more freeing, and I have freedom when I'm following their steps. Yeah, that's beautiful to talk about humbling and following, even if you don't trust mm -hmm. where they're leading. All right. Um, Chris, you were telling me uh, before service about a, a technique that you sometimes use or sometimes a way that students catch up to your lead. Can you maybe enlighten everybody a little bit about what that looks like? Yeah, so, um, so sometimes you're not always right on step, right up to speed with the person uh, that's leading. And I look at that, I look at what it is to, to follow God. Uh, it's so nice when we can be just kind of right and step, right timing and everything, everything's flowing, flowing together. Uh, but a lot of times God is a little more previous than us. He's, um, he's ahead of us. He's making plans for us. Um, he's a few steps ahead of us. Um, and one of the techniques that I do um, is kind of a following where we're maybe a couple steps behind. Eventually, we keep following the steps and we catch up, right? Um, this is what our walk with God is like. All right. Thank you, you guys. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing your gift with us. Yeah.
You know, I'm pitching you guys way below your skill level. I know that you have a lot more in you, but I appreciate you bringing it down to the baby steps so that even I can follow what you're talking about. You know, and I hope that you can uh, follow this visual and see what it might be like to follow his lead in your life, to keep in step where he is walking, as Galatians 5 says. You know, I loved what you were saying, Chris, about how God gets a few steps ahead. He's making plans for us, and he kind of trusts that we'll catch up if we keep on walking and we keep on stepping. You know, Tisha, I love what you said about humbling yourself and trusting that the leader knows where they're going to go. Even if you think that your vision is different, or even if you think that your dance might be more beautiful, or even if you think this clown doesn't know what he's doing, you know, I'm going to step into myself. But when they pulled away from each other, you see that, that even though that individually the dances are beautiful, they don't work together and there's no harmony there. What I love about following God in my life is that he is a leader that can be trusted. And that when he asks us to step, or he asks us to do, or he gives us a place to go, it's good for us. It's good for us. We don't have to worry about pioneering our own trail. We can keep in step where he leads. Since we've been set free by his spirit, brothers and sisters, let us keep in step with his spirit. Do you not know that your, temp- your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? The very presence of God is with you. Therefore, honor God with your body. Or like First John 3 put it. You cannot keep on sinning. You've been born of God. God's seed abides in you. Brothers and sisters, this morning, let's put away what's behind that sin that so easily entangles us and step after Jesus where he is leading. You know, I don't know where 1 John 3 finds you this morning, if it finds you kind of like it found me, feeling like I was playing operation and worried about buzzing that rail. Um, But I want to invite you to respond to him as we kind of close with worship here. And I want to invite a couple of different ways. And that first way I feel like maybe the Lord is leading you to respond is to step after following Jesus for the very first time. Take your first steps following his lead. If God is pulling on your heart and inviting you to come, today can be the day that you do that, that you say yes to him and you begin that journey of following him. Today can be your day. For some of us, we want to We want to believe more and we want to feel more like and we want to live in the truth that we are God's beloved children. We need to feel God's love today in a fresh and a new way, right? God stands ready to receive that. Today can be your day. Some of us need to put away lawlessness and playing our own way and live in his freedom, play in tune with Jesus Christ. Some of us need to play the right notes and step up our game. I think God can help us to do that today. And some of us feel like we don't know where God is leading, and we have a lot of questions, and we want to trust, but we don't know quite how to get there. I think today, Jesus can help you keep in step with his spirit as he leads. We can't do it ourselves, but he can do it with us. Would you pray with me and invite him for his help?